0: So a few years ago, I went to an event where Richard Curtis, the film director, was talking about the making of Richard Jones's diary. He'd already got Four Weddings and a Funeral Under His Belt, Notting Hill Under His Belt, so a very accomplished comic film director. And he talked about this fascinating moment in the making of Richard Jones's diary where he's shot the film, all the actors have flown back to wherever they live, and he decides he's going to take it out, the first edit, for a test screening in a cinema And the audience don't know it's a test screening. They just think it's a new film. They don't know. He's sitting right at the back in the dark, watching them all watch his film. And it's a comedy, right? So the credits roll and the film starts off and he waits for the audience to start laughing. And the first 10 minutes go, nobody laughs. The first 20 minutes, half an hour goes, nobody's laughing. He's getting a bit worried at this point in the dark at the back. An hour, an hour and a half go by, nobody really laughs. The lights come up, they all file out and walk out and he's left absolutely devastated. You know, this is a comic film, the film's wrapped, the actors have all gone back anyway, he can't retrieve them. Why is this not getting any laughs? And he thinks about it, and he realises that they're not really connecting with Bridget Jones because they think she's a bit posh, she's not really like them, she's got a very privileged position, You know, good job, all that kind of stuff, and they're just not really connecting to her. And so he said, I just did one thing, I took a scene from the very end of the film where Bridget Jones is alone in her bedsit, in her pajamas, with a tub of ice cream, singing all by myself with Eric Kamen blasting over her music system. And I put that scene right at the front in the opening credits. So it's the very first thing that you come across, the very first way you experience Bridget Jones. And he said it completely changed their reaction with her because they empathized with her. They'd worn those pajamas, they'd eaten that ice cream. they. They'd sung along to Eric Kim and perhaps more times than they cared to imagine. They'd recognized her for the situation she was in rather than the type of person she was. I'm Adam Morgan. This is the uh, Let's Make This More Interesting podcast from Eat Big Fish. And I was really struck by that story and connection. When I started thinking about uh, different kind of themes that might be important to explore in terms of how we make things more interesting, connection seemed a quite an obvious and important part of it. And I was reminded of that story. I wanted to explore other people whose job it was to make a connection in quite difficult circumstances and see how it worked. And so one of the people I was really keen to talk to was the guest today, Russ Buchanan. He's a radio music presenter. He does a breakfast show on Absolute, which is a very popular radio station in the UK. He has upwards of 250,000 listeners, probably more. And he's got four hours to not only make a connection, but keep a connection over that four hour period. He's going to do it week in, week out. And not only was I intrigued about that, but also just the time. I mean, engaging people over 30 seconds, a minute, a minute and a half, that seems pretty difficult. Over four hours, that seems very hard indeed, particularly ranging from four o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock in the morning. So I really wanted to see how he connected and what we could learn about how he was interesting in his job. Let's see what he had to say. So, Ross, I've really been looking forward to this. Um, we're going to talk mainly about what it means to be a great radio DJ and how much that idea gives me nightmares just thinking about it. But you also are a man of many parts, aren't you? You're a interviewer of music artists and red carpet celebs. You're a vice journalist who seems to write mostly articles about Boris Johnson and drugs, though not in the same article, I notice. Your debut single was in the top ten in iTunes. You've worked with Terry Wogan. You worked on Radio 1. I know you do brilliant dog training, and I gather you do impressions. So there are lots of parts to you, and we're going to focus mainly on the DJ. But it'd be quite interesting to see how these other parts perhaps shade into that life. Let me talk about being a DJ, because you do a four-hour slot on Absolute, which, incidentally, if you're listening and you don't know what Absolute is, it's one of the best radio stations in the UK, mainly rock and indie, I think it's fair to say, isn't it? And four hours talking about nothing. I can't imagine how I could be anything other than dull. What is the hardest thing about being a good radio DJ for you? I think Chris Evans said it quite well
1: once. I think he'd been doing the Radio 2 breakfast show for a long time at this point, or maybe back when his Radio 1 days. He said that there was a day when I realized I was just putting up the fader on the microphone and I didn't know what I was going to say when I put that fader up. And at that point, I would got too confident. And that was the point that I needed to, to stop and go back to the beginning and think, okay, what actually makes a great link, what makes a great story and what's going to make a great radio show. So that's something I always think about, you know, every time that you put that fader up, every time you have the privilege of going on to someone's radio, being that voice in their room, their friend, what are you going to say? You know, don't take that for granted. So, so what does, just play
0: it out. So what does dull look like in that situation then? What is a dull DJ in your view? I think
1: there's a place and a time for lots of different types of particularly if we're talking about radio you know there's the crunch and roll which is almost like a a 10 second link you might go that was the kings of leon and here's s club seven and then you just it's basically just serves to be a quick voice to outro the last song let you know they're there they might mention the name of the radio station and then move on to the next and i don't want to call that dull but It's something that you can learn and it's something that you can do quite easily. Not everybody can do it, but I think that would almost be what I perceive to be dull. But at the same time, I still think there's a place for it. There's also certain features or questions. And I think this is, I imagine we'll talk more about interviewing as well, but um, there are questions that have just become almost tropes in radio and in interviews. Stuff like, you know you're interviewing a band and you say well where did you get your band name from and it's like how many times has that band been asked that question and for me that's always something that i've wanted to avoid and with radio there's a few features like <laughs> one of the kind of almost memes of radio is what's the best biscuit like for some reason really ra- yeah really? radio show hosts across the country i think it's it's quite a uk centric
0: feature they love asking their audience what what, what's the best biscuit (laughs) so avoid at all costs so in Italy DJs are asking completely different edible questions other than biscuits Um, (laughs) so okay so avoiding the obvious or the cliched questions which well falls into one of the things that people say about radio is it's a very intimate medium in the way that tv isn't right there's there's Hmm. almost a one curiously although it's a mass medium obviously there's almost one-to-one connection and you used the word just now about being somebody's friend which again is quite a personal and kind of intimate relationship what is it about radio that allows that and was it about being a dj that allows you to create that relationship i think in a kind
1: of paradoxical way the fact that it's a secondary medium is something that almost makes it more intimate and i mean secondary medium in the sense that you can do other stuff whilst you listen to the radio and when you have a friend over you might cook dinner together, or you might play a game of cards, or you might, I don't know, you might do something together and you're that, that you're having that moment with them. And that's kind of how I imagine radio. I don't, when I'm on the radio, I don't demand a hundred percent of your attention, something like television or, you know, new mediums like TikTok or YouTube, they demand 100% of the viewer or the listener's attention. And I think that's something that's, generally quite interesting about radio is that there is that that removal and you're almost just that extra person
0: in the room softening whatever they're up to that's an interesting balance isn't it because you don't want all their attention but at the same time you don't want them to ignore you so you've got to be just interesting enough to kind of keep that ball in the air between you in some kind of way without expecting a complete commitment to the game as it were yeah and i think
1: there's definitely a time and a space for, and I say secondary me- medium in the sense that you don't, you, you can still give the radio 100% of your attention because your mind almost goes into two different ways. It's like having a really intense conversation with someone whilst you're driving. You're still focusing 100% of that part of your brain on the road, but you still have the ability to compartmentalize and focus on a conversation unless it's a particularly icy day or a particularly difficult road. And I find that with podcasts or with you know, more long-form radio, Radio 4, stuff like that. You can enjoy it on a run. You can enjoy it whilst going out for a walk and you can enjoy it while you're driving. And that is quite intimate because some of those things, you can't really get that level of interaction with anyone else. So, yeah, it's it's
0: quite a special quite special in that way you've spoken in the past about how lockdown was quite a kind of critical realization for you as a radio dj and that you realized you wanted to become closer to people and that included your listeners tell us a bit more about that kind of experience What made you arrive at that realization and what effect it had on how you stepped up your relationship through what you did?
1: One of the things that I really got into was baking and I know a lot of people were trying to perfect the perfect banana bread recipe during the lockdowns but for me a family friend of ours uh, actually (laughs) this sounds really like I just got hooked up by some wheeler dealer but he (laughs) um he owns a coffee distributor called Edgecombs. And we went out to uh, visit his kind of like open-air supermarket that he'd developed. And he had all these like wholesale ingredients. And uh, I bought off him a 10 kilogram bag of strong white flour. I was always super interested in baking and I decided to start making bread. But as I had this 10 kilogram bag of flour, I just put on my Twitter like, hey, does anybody want a loaf of bread? And the response was incredible. I must have made uh, about 100 loaves over a three-week period and was cycling around London just deliver- hand-delivering loaves of bread for free to the listeners. I was like, just, does anyone want this? Like I've just really hyper-focused on making bread and now I've got to get
0: rid <laughs> of it all so you're cycling up to your listeners so the listeners know that the thing is coming do they do you say i'm popping around with a loaf at three o'clock on thursday you know expect it there how does that work exactly
1: it's the nice thing as well like i've never been like a celebrity in any sense like i've always just like kind of had that removal from my listeners so it's not like oh my gosh like the this guy who does the breakfast show is gonna come round and deliver a bread and it's gonna be all uh <laughs> fanfare it was more like oh okay this this random radio presenter has made bread and he's gonna cycle over and give it to me. And, and like people were so sound and they were like, are you sure for free? And I was just like, yeah, no worries. And you know, people started giving money to charity instead of, instead of paying me for it, which I thought was really cool. And you know, like a, a nice thing to do. And tell me about Strava. Strava, yeah. Strava is something that I've really got back into again recently. I, I went through a period during the lockdown. I, I absolutely love running. I ran the london marathon in 2016 which was like honestly such a wonderful experience and i thought strava would be a good place away from other social media channels uh where i could connect with some of my listeners who were also going out and running whether that was a short walk or you know someone who is running half marathons every weekend and it was just a a nice way to connect with my listeners and i still Uh, You know, I ran 50 kilometers last week and I still connect with those listeners. And we have like almost like a running club on my Strava, which is great away from the noise of all the kind of other social media platforms. One of the things you've said in the past about that
0: experience was that it made you realize you wanted your listeners to know you better and that equally you wanted to take them more seriously. Do you think that's changed the relationship you have with your listeners and therefore the connection you have with them?
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting as a topic i think that your relationship with your listeners is quite one way in a sense and i think particularly growing up watching celebrities be quite removed from the people who are actually supporting them has changed massively in the last few years with social media and i think there's a lot more respect there towards the people who genuinely let you do what you want to do for a living and I think it's really important to not
0: take that for granted. As preparation for this I went on various online courses about how to be a good DJ including choosing your own DJ name by the way and a good bit of advice from North Carolina State University about choosing a DJ name is the only real restriction is you cannot in capitals you cannot use genitalia as part of your (laughs) DJ name. So no funny stuff like DJ D's nuts. Um, but the other, one of the other things they talked about was authenticity. And in particular, they said, you know, how, how do you tell if you're doing it wrong? You know you're doing it wrong if one of your friends says, do that thing in your radio voice. Mm. So there's, there's something about a distance that a bad DJ puts in between, you know, how they present themselves on air and how they really are. Is that something you're aware of not stepping over into?
1: yeah i think that there's two points on that the first is that chris moyles of radio one and radio x fame i once went on his breakfast show and he asked me if i'd made up the name ross buchanan because it was so good for the radio of which i got to reply that no that is my that is my actual name and secondly i think we all have like a phone voice anyway and i think that it's quite a natural thing to do to kind of you project a little bit more when you're on the radio you kind of you're not as monotonous when you're on the radio. And I think there's a, a real skill to getting almost like singing the story to get people hooked at the right points and engaged at the right points. And it's, like, it's, it's that kind of, it's that thing. But then there's also the way of doing it quite cheesy. And it's like, you know, that's, I think that's, that's the difference. And it's using your voice in the
0: right way so as not to be the cliched radio presenter and authenticity for you is you know you've been very open about mental health and you've been a sort of champion of mental health and and, you know some of your own issues tell me a little bit about how did that become natural for you and how has being authentic in that way helped you have a better kind of connection and a better kind of relationship with the audience that's listening to you and wants to be part of your world the radio stations that i've been
1: on have all been quite um male skewed in terms of listenership and one of the things and the responsibilities that come with that is that you know there there are a lot of stats around suicide being the biggest killer of men under 40 and i think there is yeah social responsibility to if you're going to be in that position take it seriously and I've always been very comfortable talking about my mental health in a wider sense particularly since I've you know understood it better and been through my own journeys I've had amazing texts and emails from some listeners who have been very grateful that uh, I've kind of opened that dialogue for them and I think it's one of those things as well where people might be listening to you on a on a building site or A father and son might be listening in the car and like opening up that dialogue and stopping the show every now and then and talking about you know I've not been feeling great recently or I've been suffering from anxiety or depression can I open up a conversation within those places as well and it kind of goes back to being that friend in the room and having the confidence to be able to talk about those things openly it's the right thing to do and I have to praise the stations that I've worked on they've always been quite encouraging to kind of like stop the show
0: make those kind of statements obviously it's a profound thing in many ways but just looking at one of the things you talked a a while ago about being a dj is that you know you, you kind of you talk about sort of singing your way through it and making it more kind of interesting and entertaining like that but the depth and reality that you give it through mental health in a very profound way and even at some level you know making loaves and having cycling clubs and stuff. In a sense, it sort of breaks the plane of what I would have imagined DJ's relationship to be like. This is going to sound uh, almost two-dimensional maybe that
1: I've always been quite an entrepreneurial person and I understand that the way the media landscape is going is towards authenticity. People who digest content are very interested in who are you really... I think the time has kind of passed for people to go on and put on a persona that isn't necessarily authentic. And people see straight through that these days. And I don't think there's always a space for people to be as authentic as they want to be, particularly on like commercial radio when you're at the whims of, you know, advertisers or the BBC when you're, you know, you've got to uh-huh. hit the remits of the license fee payers. So I think moving forward towards TikTok podcasts, more creator-owned spaces, like that's a really key thing to take into account and to be authentic and to have that relationship with the people who are listening. If you start a podcast, people say to me, oh, I've only got a hundred listens on my new podcast. And I'm like, that's actually amazing. Like you've got a hundred people listening like put a hundred people in a room that's incredible and you should be really grateful for those hundred people and i feel like the more grateful you are towards those people the more they'll expand that and tell people about it and create this communal space rather than this kind of like Uh dictatorial space that you
0: know radio has definitely been in the past and and so tell me i mean authenticity as a a word what does it mean to you to find authenticity I think for me
1: authenticity is first of all like truly understanding who you are and then from another perspective it's also showing people who you are i think it's a really difficult thing to understand particularly when you're a personality see a lot with musicians they don't really fully understand what it is people like about them and then they struggle to create content or they struggle to create And they get in their heads about these kind of things. So it's like at the base point of it, authenticity is working out who you are and then holding yourself to that standard and like reinforcing that at different levels. Even though I've just made that sound like very clinical, that is almost what
0: it is. No, I get that completely. There's a very interesting point in your interview with the Libertines where one of them, it must have been Pete Doherty, talked about in the early days, looking out at the crowd and trying to work out what they were thinking. Yeah. And then feeling the crowd was expecting something of them, so they behaved in the way the crowd expected. And now that they felt, to your point, much more themselves and they just played the music they wanted to play and did it, it took them obviously rather longer to arrive at that conclusion than it took you to arrive at that conclusion. But <laughs> I think, I, just so. on that, I think that
1: people have entire careers where they've completely misread that room and they do the wrong things and actually at the heart of it people just want that true self but they don't understand it and, and they end up feeling quite almost dejected at the end of their career because they've been successful for something they don't feel that has truly
0: represented them That's fascinating do you, and do you think that the process of slowly more and more showing people who you are showing your listeners who you are has helped you arrive at a better understanding of who you are or did one precede the other? I'd be wrong to say that I even know
1: who I am at this point. I think that's such such. It's it's okay, fair It's like it, it it's it's growth, isn't it? It's all about like the thing is we're con- we're all constantly changing, and we all have likes and dislikes that change over the years. And something that you liked when you're eighteen, you might not like at twenty-five, and you might not like that at forty, and you might love it again at fifty-five. I think those like life is changing, and when you put yourself in the public eye, you can. Get labelled or tarred with a brush that maybe you're not, and I think you know you look at a band like the Libertines who are known as these like anarchists, and now they're in their forties and they've got kids, and they're they're not necessarily that vibe, but people might still associate them with that. And yeah, I I just think
0: that it's a journey, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, look at me. So I'm here. I am in my sixties, and I think I'm pretty comfortable with myself now in many ways, and I wasn't for a long time, but even Now, this process of making podcasts, I actually find difficult and I am uncomfortable about doing it because I'm just not used to operating this way. I have no idea anybody's going to show up in the audience. It's that thing about, as I imagined, you put on a performance, is anybody going to be there? Is anybody interested in what I'm interested in? I have been more anxious about this than i suppose most other things i've done really in the last 10 years which is interesting to me because i thought i wasn't getting anxious about stuff anymore so it's a very interesting that's exciting it is it is it's that you know to be pretentious about it it's that um joseph campbell thing about in the cave you fear to go into is the treasure you seek it's that same thing about you have to kind of lean into it and i love that learning and growth will come from and perhaps my desire to be more interesting will come from this as well because well, this starts, as you know, from a conviction that actually I'm not a very interesting person. And do,
1: you, do you not feel an interesting person? Because I know in wider circles that from from our mutual connections, people think of you as a very interesting person with books under your belt. And
0: I think that's mostly um, because what I am talking about is interesting things I've heard from other people. So I think I'm a quilt maker. Effectively, I take lots of interesting things I've heard. Ross said this. Hmm where does that go on the quilt? I'll put that in there. And then I can actually, I'm quite good at making quilts and stitching things together and presenting them as a patchwork and to some degree having some authorship over that. But fundamentally, you put me on a radio for four hours between four and eight in the morning. I have absolutely nothing to say to anybody at all. Let's come back to that thing because you've done late nights, you've done all nights, you've done early mornings. What's different about being interesting at five in the morning from being interesting at five in the afternoon? I think there's definitely
1: like tonal changes i know we spoke about kind of like thinking about how you deliver your voice and how you deliver a story and it's kind of diminishing as time goes by with listen back features and you know people enjoying content at any time of the day but there's still a place for being softer in the morning and more energetic in the later morning and maybe softer in the evening or more energetic in the evening depending on the type of show And we're talking about music radio, but I think it's always framed around what the show is. So if it's a chilled show, keep it chilled, obviously. If it's an indie disco, fire it up. If you're getting people ready for a night out, then, you know, do what's what's necessary. I think it's the same as any conversation, really. There's a way to speak at a funeral and there's a way to speak
0: at a rave. So Terry Wogan, Mm. I mean, he, for many people in Britain of a certain age, is that kind of the ultimate radio DJ. What did you learn from him, if anything?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was quite fortunate in that at the beginning of my career, I got to intern on the Terry Wogan show. And he was just a, a real, a real dude, just like a real cool, chilled out guy. And some of his insights are like absolutely incredible. And I I got to work with him on, you know, three or four shows. And it was just a total privilege because I'd never been in a situation like that before, like in a proper radio studio, let alone with one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. But I mean, I'd always looked up at Terry yeah. Wogan. You know, he's always he'd always talk about um, being that one person in the room and not talking to an audience. Like, like you could do a link that's like, hey you guys hey everyone like all text into the show like how's everyone doing today but he kind of like coined this idea that you're like how are you today and that idea of speaking to that one person in the room and thinking about that i've never ever spoken to the plural listener i've always spoken to a single person and that's something that i definitely learned from terry wogan that's fascinating that's fascinating because
0: i i find myself speaking on stages to large rooms of people and i never speak to one person but that's such an interesting idea but i guess that's i
1: guess that's different as well because if you're speaking to a collective room then they're all kind of there for the same reason but if everyone's tuned into a radio show i don't know i don't know but that's just that's just the rule that I've
0: stuck to. <laughs> no, it's good. it's good, it's good. I, but I think what's interesting about it is that actually it's when you speak to the one person that you speak to you know individual concerns, anxieties, joys, hopes, there's a much more emotional connection when you think about one person and a warmth and a friendship to your point. Whereas if you're addressing a mass, you can't be a friend to the mass in mm. a kind of way that's a different kind of relationship. And I'm intrigued about your notion of a friendship. And so when you talk about speaking to one person are you literally imagining a particular person in your mind or is it just a more generic sense of being intimate and personal with one one individual
1: I think I am to a certain extent imagining one particular person but I think that person changes depending on what subject matter I'm talking about within an anecdote
0: and how does it how does it help to think about those one or two people specifically how does it change the way that you tell your story or or communicate in my head I
1: probably merge those two people into like one person if that makes sense at all but I think it really helps me to make my stories as like as inclusive as possible where I think like sometimes radio can be feel quite exclusive and quite you're not part of this you know I don't know if you've ever switched the radio on and felt like I've got no idea what they're talking about I would hate for someone to have that experience when tuning into my show. So it's about using that inclusive language,
0: thinking about that one person. So the question I'm asking all of the interviewers is kind of one of my nightmares, which is, you know, you're invited round to supper with the neighbours and you're sat next to two people that you've never met before. You need to be good neighbours, so you're doing your duty by turning up at supper and sticking right through it. But it's gonna be a long evening. You're not getting anything really that's connecting with the person on your left what do you do what do you say what's your way of generating a more interesting conversation
1: i'm really happy as a person to sit there and listen to somebody talking about something that they're passionate about i would rather Uh sit there and listen to something i've never heard of before and just take in as much information as possible like i have a cousin who was just really into this like tank game on the internet and he was just kind of like Uh, the last family gathering he spoke to me for about an hour on this particular time game and (laughs) i loved it and it was just like a really like wholesome moment i feel like everybody has that thing that they really want to talk about and it's just a few questions to get there because any more and you feel like you're interrogating
0: them that's the last idea how do you get the tank game what are the the questions that get you there so brilliant really interesting let's just play out this thing all right? the podcast is called let's make this more interesting it's partly about the profession that you have and how you make that more interesting but partly also about what everybody else can learn from you and the kind of lessons that sort of the three bits of advice you might give all of us pulling all of that together about how to be more interesting looking through the lens of being a great radio dj what are the three bits of advice you have about how to be more interesting I think the first one is like begin that journey of finding out
1: what makes you more interesting. I know that seems like a bit of a cop out, but it's like finding that authentic self. What are the things that make you different from other people? What are the things that you really enjoy doing and that you can talk about comfortably and you enjoy talking about, you know, my cousin talking about the tank game? I I enjoyed listening to him talk about the tank game because it was something that he was passionate about. Uh, And I think a lot of people share that. So find out what's your tank game and, and speak on that. The second thing that I would say is always plan your content and always think about what you're going to say before you say it because it really helps you kind of not just map out a better story, but also kind of find the different paths that you might go down with that story. I always, before I met Lottie, my wife, Always really enjoyed dating and I would go to go on a date and prepare like three different stories from throughout my day so that even if there was a lull in the conversation, I'd have something that I could talk about confidently. So whether it's a date, a piece of content, or just like life or a dinner party in general, have those things in your back pocket from the last week that you can talk about because at the end of the day it's gonna put people more at ease. And finally, in a more specific sense, if you do find yourself on a radio show speak to one person be like singular in that sense try and make the person that you're talking to feel spoken to and feel unique in your attention those are the three points that i would make
0: to make a radio show more interesting ross that was fabulous thank you very much indeed i really enjoyed it thank you so the temple of apollo at delphi was built in roughly 500 bc so two and a half thousand years ago and when the Greeks built it, there was a column right at the front. And on it, they wrote the three greatest bits of wisdom that the Greek world knew. And bear in mind, this was a very kind of advanced society. You know, they're very advanced in terms of art. You know, they kind of invented tragedy and comedy, painting, sculpture, culture, the principles of civic society. So they, had a lot of, they were content rich. They could have chosen a lot of things for these three things. And the first and most famous of the three things that the Greeks wrote as their bit of wisdom on that temple column was two words: out on, which means "know yourself." And I'm a classicist. Historically, I spent 16 years when I was studying Latin and Greek, and I really wasn't expecting that idea about knowing yourself to come up so centrally in this interview with Ross. But it absolutely is at the heart of, isn't it? That idea of knowing yourself—that very old idea, but really more important than ever now. Knowing yourself as a foundation for being interesting both in terms of self-awareness and really understanding who you are and noting that actually some people get to the end of their careers really without having kind of succeeded in communicating and connecting with people about how they really are, but also Ross's point about showing yourself and how actually there's been a change in expectation around this now and what authenticity means is, is showing yourself, even sort of stopping the show and showing yourself and talking about the things that really matter to you closing the distance, closing that, that one-way distance that's historically occupied between a presenter in this case and the audience. I thought that was fascinating as a foundation for being more interesting. And listen, as I start to do these kind of reflections, I don't think anyone needs spoon feeding. I'm really going to just offer a series of reflections and provocations and for your brand, for your business, for yourself, you can kind of draw the conclusions yourself. Just about what struck me. But that was the first one in terms of the foundation. The second was this idea that, you are more compelling if you're talking to one person and that actually you need to recognize in talking to that one person that it's a privilege to be in the room with them and you shouldn't take it for granted a couple of times he talked about don't take it for granted and and one of the ways in not taking it for granted is being prepared being a prepared friend if you like i like that notion of friendship a friendship that's not terribly demanding you're not having to be interesting all the time, but a prepared friend. And part of that preparation is being prepared and ready with something to contribute. A lovely part where he talks about even when dating, he had kind of three stories to bring if there was a lapse in the conversation to kind of to fill it with something interesting and engaging. Third strand about being more interesting was about his point about being just interesting enough. So this is a medium where you don't have to be completely absorbing all the time. That's not what people are looking for, actually you are going to be, as we were saying, an interesting friend or companion to do things with. And that's, I don't know quite where we go with that, but it's striking to think there are there are kind of different kind of contexts for being more interesting and different kind of arenas, if you like. And in some, you want to be absolutely absorbing because you've only got 60 seconds to convince a VC that yours idea is the most exciting idea that they're going to try and fund, you know, this year. And then there are other much longer form things where you've got to be just interesting enough. And Perhaps we'll think about that and explore that in other podcasts as we play out. And then just finally, there's that balance between questions and skills. There's that thought with questions about, yes, asking questions they've never been asked before. And that, I think we'll see, is a recurrent theme across a number of the people that we talk about. So so if you're on the radio, don't ask somebody what their favourite biscuit is. But also understanding how to ask the questions that get them to their tank game, how to really connect with what really matters to them. But balancing that with skills, and I, I loved his notion about knowing when to sing the story and when to just do the crunch and roll, that sense you don't have to be singing all the time. And in fact, if you are singing all the time, that's inappropriate. The tone you speak sometimes is not the tone you should speak with other times. So that sense of kind of balance and variation, I think, was fascinating. So lots to reflect on there in terms of um, and provocations for us, for our brand, for our business, for ourselves about how to be more interesting. I'm sure I could almost predict Connection will come back further in the series, but a lot to think about in there. And uh, meanwhile, I, I, have to, I have to find a way to work the expression crunch and roll casually into my next professional conversation. I'm Adam Morgan. That was Let's Make This More Interesting. See you next time. Let's Make This More Interesting is a podcast from Eat Big Fish. I'm Adam Morgan. A big thank you to Ruth, my editor, and Ross, my producer. And join us next time when we'll be talking to Norman Stiles, the former head writer on Sesame Street. See you then.